It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Acast recommends... Podcasts we love. Changemakers is a new podcast series with me, Claire McKenna, talking to people who stand up, speak out, or challenge us to think a little differently. It's about the greater good, families and children, respecting their own individuality. In the next couple of years, like I hope I never have to have conversations about racism ever again. Like, I just want to get to the stage where, you know, people are just people. Nobody's pooling the resources together and actually being able to show how much of an impact it will make when people do come together. Changemakers with Claire McKenna. Search for it now wherever you get your podcasts. Acast is home to the world's best podcasts, including the David McWilliams podcast, I'm Grandmam, and the one you're listening to right now. Welcome to the Blood and Mud podcast, the podcast that rams its hands down the back of the freezer of the weekend's rugby and finds only a 16-month-old slice of bread with Yakko Piper's face on it. I am Lee, and joining me as usual is... I remain Josh. How can you sound so fed up after this weekend? What on earth is wrong with you? I'm just, I'm all partied out, mate. Oh, like that, is it? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. All beer 52'd out. Yeah, yeah, I'm basically, you know, I'm sitting here in sunglasses, you know, just <laughs> like a fucking, like like a fucking rock, rock star on a press junket. That's me. Uh, yes, um, if you want to get in touch with us, I'm at Anne Lee at bloodandmud.com or at bloodandmud on Twitter. And we're on, what about you, Josh? Uh, at Josh Gardner at rugbyshitwatch, uh, rugbyshitwatch.com if you think I still actually post there, which I do. <laughs> it just doesn't appear that I do. Yes. We're on Acast and we're on iTunes and all that stuff and wherever pods can be found. Tell all your friends. We're also on Patreon.com, patreon.com slash blood and mud, where you can get some extra stuff and give us a little bit of extra support. I've been remiss these past few weeks with Patreon, Josh. In that one, we need to get something done and we're going to do that soon. (laughs) But the other thing as well is that I didn't mention the people who've, who've stepped up. Oh, hello. Stepped right up and said, you know what? Never mind the $2. I'm going to go in the Yellow Brew VIP lounge and I'll go behind the rope. It's fucking lovely in there. It is lovely in it. You know, into one of the bonquettes. <laughs> you know, um, skinny lager and beer fifty two. Beer fifty two bonquettes, yeah, yeah. Um, and I want to sit down and become a very close personal friend of the podcast. 
So those people are recently Stephanie Franklin, Jim Mount. Thank you very much. Jesse Murray and David Grinter. Thank you so much for voluntarily supporting us in that way. From the bottom of my genuinely insincere and like sarcastic heart, thank you. Yeah, but he is being genuine. You can't see his face, I can. That's Josh's genuine face. I've taken the sunglasses off and everything. Yeah. He's looked deep into my heart. I've seen behind his eyes. <laughs> Not for the first time. Uh, <laughs> What's that line hell, in um, is... Event Horizon? What's happened to your eyes? Where we're going, we don't need eyes. <laughs> so, uh, the... Anyway, so I was That's obviously... definitely Back to the Future bastard butchered, by the way. That's not about whatever the Event Horizon line is. That is an Event Horizon. It is. is it? Yeah. Surely not. Where we're going, we don't need eyes. Yeah. Anyway... Ah. You're right, then, isn't it? Where you're going, we don't need eyes to see. That's the line. Yeah. You did butcher it a little bit. Sorry. Oh, all right. I'm, I'm being a fucking pedantic. Anyway, right Josh, now. aside from the yeah. England, what we're going to get on to in a minute, how was your weekend? Yeah, it's all right. Like, uh, I spent my Sunday at the uh, the guitar show in Birmingham, which is a place I love to be on a Saturday, on a Sunday. Um, but no, it was good fun. Other than that, I I did I watched a lot of rugby. It was good fun. What did, about you you? To, did you get the train? Or did you have to drive around Birmingham? Uh, I had to uh, get up at six o'clock in the morning and uh, drive up to Birmingham. Driving round Birmingham is awful. People who don't think the devil exists have never driven round Birmingham. <laughs> Let me just say that because how can you design a place where you can always see where you want to go, but you have no fucking idea of how to get there? I lit- literally knew Bingley Hall is exactly like that in that I've, I literally had to do a sort of half a mile loop around a big roundabout to get into the entrance of the yeah. place, which was just off a roundabout. There's, there's roundabout. the Crown Plaza. That's the hotel I need to be in. How do I get off this fucking flyover is basically <laughs> what driving around Birmingham is permanently. Yeah. Anyway, uh, shall we? Well, my weekend. Well, well, let's tell what a sporting sport weekend I've had. England mm-hmm. lost. Yeah, Lee lost. Yeah, Oldham Athletic were one nil up until the seventy fifth minute and lost three one. To Barry. Yeah, and then I thought, well, at least I've got something to look forward to because there's this program on about Baptiste at nine o'clock on Sunday on BBC One. Imagine how <laughs> fucked off I was when I turned that on and saw it was some standard fucking detective fair yeah. instead of a documentary about you know yeah. the one true two, love two, of my life. Yeah, two things that would have I would have enjoyed a documentary about. Baptiste, obviously, the Saran, yes. or Clinton Baptiste. <laughs> uh. Yeah, I'm getting the word. Yeah. <laughs> Either of those would have enjoyed it. You know, by the numbers, police procedural. Nah, not interested. Indeed. Right, before we get started then. <laughs> which, what a fucking I think we have started, but before we get started proper, oh, yeah. let's have a player spotted. John Richardson gets in touch on the DMs. He says, having travelled up to Edinburgh to see Scotland, the Scotland All Blacks match in 2014. It's right back, right back there. Well done, John. Oof. My wife, sister, her husband, her husband, and I were doing touristy things on the Saturday morning: botanical gardens, castle, Princes Street, etc. When, mm. whilst wandering down an unknown street, we came upon an unidentified Frank's brother carrying a nondescript tub of protein shape. We didn't make contact per contact per se. But as we excitedly exclaimed to each other that we'd spotted an All Black, one of the Franks brothers no less, he noticed our kerfuffle and we locked eyes. He had a sad, soulful look that spoke to our enthusiastic confusion and his life's long frustration as we all realised what he was thinking. You don't know if I'm me or my brother, do you? 
In that moment, <laughs> we got a glimpse of the unending disappointment as being a famous sibling where a brother is almost identical and famous for almost identical achievements must be. Could yeah, I, I couldn't. I wouldn't have better knowing Franks if I spotted him. I don't think I'd know it was no. one of them. No, you know, you know twins, it was one of them. No, but imagine being one the the one Barrett brother that never really did anything. Because there's obviously the poor one that like had to retire because of concussion. But then you've got the three that are all blacks, and then you've got the other brother who just sort of plays like weekend Saturday club rugby. And it's like I'm sure they all. They all basically look like different levels of inflated version of the same face. So, like, <laughs> with, he with, must with that an, guy must look like that exponentially inexplicable yeah. haircut. Yeah, yeah, uh, and he must get mistaken for one of his brothers because even if they don't know, they go, "Oh, that's is that Bowden Barrett? Oh, that's not Bowden Barrett. Oh, well, it must be one of the other ones." Yes. but no, it's the unfamous one. That always reminds me. I've told this before, but the. Uh... Mark, Mad Mark Lievremont, who played <laughs> yeah. centre for, for France, and his brother, Thomas, Thomas Lievremont, Thomas he, played, he played back row. And then there was the third brother who hadn't played for France, whose name I can't remember, something Lievremont, obviously, who was called up to Mark's first ever French squad, obviously because their mum had given a bollocking. To... Yeah. Mom, her mum had gone, you've seen what his face is like at Christmas, I'm not having it again this year, call him up to the France squad immediately, Mark. And interestingly, that one. was probably one of the less insane call-ups that he did. Well, yeah, I mean, he basically sort of started out as he meant to go on, didn't he? He did. Yeah. Before we get into the we the games, let's talk about the news. There's only like one bit of news. Courtney Laws is out for the rest of the Six Nations. Dave Ewells is in. Charlie yeah. Ewells is in, sorry. Charlie Ewells, I'm getting Charlie Ewells and Dave Ewells mixed up. I mean, either of them would have been fine. They would have been. Elliot Stoop yeah. would have been fine. They could yeah. have gone for a bit of a curveball and having Kapoku in. Yeah. From um, that would have been that Saracens. Would have been more fun. That would have been more fun, He's they? been in once yeah. before, hasn't he? But, uh, yeah, surprising as he didn't get the shout, really. But, uh-huh. My mate Matt texted me the weekend while the game was on. He said, have you ever known a player who had less of a clue and is more gormless than Laws that you can't drop? Yeah. Because he doesn't really look... Like, he, he All he brings is an incredible instinct for dominant <laughs> aggression. Yeah. Which I suppose he's is what you brilliant. need. He, yeah, he's brilliant at smashing people, and he's quite good at jumping in the line out and pushing. Beyond he that, there's really not do, much there, is there? Doesn't really do anything else. I mean, what else you need to do with a lock, I suppose? He does, but, uh... he does it well enough. Like he's not a good carrier. He just fucking just he just hits things. He just really looms hard. around like impending danger at all times. Yeah. So that was the news. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. I Before mean, we start, the, the only the only other bit of news is that there is still no news. Um, oh, about the Ospreys. About, and... Well, about the Welsh Rugby Union. Apparently, tomorrow, Tuesday, as we record, uh, is going to be the day that Project Reset finally gets fucking sorted out. And broadly, it seems like uh, <laughs> seems like absolutely nothing is going to change in terms of funding, in terms of anything, because nobody has the fucking the balls or the support to do something probably dramatic that's needed. So, uh, yeah, enjoy another five years of crushing domestic mediocrity everybody you lovely patrons who have listened will have heard our wales rebel season 1998 episode if you otherwise haven't, haven't given us, it, otherwise given it welsh rugby's fucking sliding doors moment and basically we're kind of there again aren't we nobody's yeah. got the fucking balls to actually make no. the big decisions really no you'll have yeah. some context that if you listen yeah. anyway 
Let's get on to the weekend. Seb got in touch. This is shit good later, but I just threw it in mm. now because it kind of he said he said Seb got in touch and said shit is the planet is doomed. But yeah. good is that at least it looked like that. At least we've got glorious running rugby in February in the sunshine. I mean, there is there is something to be said for global warming that you know it it can provide you know if we're going to mess around with the global season, we might as well just like make Before- sure that. Before we fuck about with it, let's let's make <laughs> See sure how the, cl- that we... how the weather's gonna go. Exactly, we don't want to move everything to bloody summer and then it'd be forty degrees in you know in South Wales in the summertime. Before anybody gets in touch, I know the difference between climate and weather. This was merely a bit of a joke, <sighs> okay? <laughs> right then. So then, shall we talk about you know this weekend? Yeah, quite uneventful. Really, Do you want to start it? with Wales I mean... versus England? I suppose we'd better have to. Shout uh, we out were... to Flint Male Voice Choir, my local choir who were uh, Fair play. who were there. They, they were, they were featured in the local press at the bottom, like it always says. It's, we are always looking for new members because the average age is 107. Well, as is, as is Male Voice Choirs. Um, yeah, I mean, when we were talking in the pods, you know, over the last couple of weeks, we were fucking incredibly optimistic about how long it would take a good defensive mind to work out England's... <laughs> New attacking game plan. We were like, oh, we yeah, said about the next six months, didn't we? Yeah, by the World Cup, they'll probably have worked it out, or at least, you know, the next six nations. Yeah, two games. It took Sean Edwards to go. Yeah, I can deal with that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what do you think about what do you think about that, Sean? That's no fucking problem. <laughs> uh, yeah. An hour later, he had it sorted. Yeah, he just sure. Can you just have a, have a look at this? Just watch watch eighty minutes of this and and. Right there, and he's literally he's watched about seven minutes and gone. Yeah, next. Well, ironically, uh, what I found weird about this game was um, up until everyone says Wales had a brilliant second half. When actually, I think Wales had a brilliant last fifteen minutes, last 20, 25 minutes yeah. maybe. Because I said to I was watching my son who's Welsh, and he was fucking loving it. So when when Wales scored, I had, I had my son jumping up and down, and then the dog got excited. So I had a Welsh corgi and my son jumping up and down. <laughs> In the living room, which was nice, but um, and I said to him, and 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 I was watching a passage of play, and England had started shifting the point of attack around. This is around about probably 45, 48, 50 minutes. Mm. It started shifting the point of attack around. Wales were looking like they're going to struggle. I, I said, to, I did turn to me, and I said, I said, this looks like this could be the way it's going to be now. England are going to keep the ball. They'll keep moving this stuff around, and this is how it's going to be. And yet. Well, it they wasn't. basically never got. Well, it was that moment where Mark Wilson knocked it on, mm. wasn't it? And that was like the last time England ever looked like they were going to make any kind of inroad. They basically never got the ball back after that. There's also something about recognizing what happened before, isn't there? Because Wales yeah. were driving the ball up into Farrell and in, in the nine and ten channel quite a lot mm. when they finally figured it out. Yeah, well, it took, a, it took them an awfully long time to realise what was going on because they spent the first 60-odd minutes just sending fucking one-out runners into a four-man blitz and and just kicking possession away in promising positions for no reason. Was that a softening action, though? Well, it could have been. Because there's it, an element of you're not getting too far ahead in the score here yeah. and we'll just keep putting it into your blitz and make you go up and back and up and back and up and back. I don't know, but it did for me watching. I was the same as you. I was watching, it thinking this is really stupid. But yeah. the fact that they just kept doing it and doing it and doing it, I suggest maybe it was the opposite of stupid. <clears> I don't know. 
Maybe, and who know, you know? Who knows the complexities of Test rugby in terms of tactics and that kind of game of chess? But you know, there was that moment on sixty minutes where all of a sudden it was pick and go. Yeah. And it was yeah. You know, making England commit men to the breakdown, making England have guards around the back of the ruck, and they narrowed the blitz. They held on to possession for thirty odd phases, and they kept four phases. Was it? Oh, you know. Yeah. And then, but the thing is, like in the first half, whenever when they got a penalty advantage, the first thing they did was, you know, boot it aimlessly from one side of the pitch to the other, in an attempt to do the kick pass thing, which is obviously the tactic that obviously eventually paid off. But with that, the sort of defined like the the decisive try, they had the penalty advantage, and at one point it looked like the thing had completely gone when Liam Williams got smashed behind the game line and he had absolutely zero business getting back to his feet and getting a couple of yards and getting some support. Like, they kept going and kept going and he didn't kick it away and they scored a really, really well-worked try as a result of it. And it was like that change of mindset. Like, imagine if how good Wales would be if they could react like that after like 20 minutes or 40 minutes. And The number and also, of times like, I said in those 34 phases, England penalty's coming soon. It's the England yeah. penalty coming soon. Yeah. And well, to be fair, just, it, and it fucking didn't, which is no, testament to It was one of those situations where it was like, oh, we're fucking just going through the phases here and we are 100% going to get pinged because it, that's what always happened. But I still don't really understand. He's got a lot of flack. Quite unnecessarily, I think. But Ooh. I don't know why Gareth, Gatlin picked Gareth Hanscom at 10 if the plan was to play the game that they played. You know, one out, line kick, heavy attacking game is, you know, Dan Big is literally the best 10 in the world at doing that. But Hanscom, you know, Hanscom didn't have a very good game, particularly with his kicking out of hand. But why would you pick him to boot the leather off it and play the percentages when he's a player that? His skill set is taking it to the line, using a short kicking game and to be a dangerous open field runner. It's not that he played particularly badly, but he got absolutely no chance to show that skill set at all. I think his his, his kicking decisions were bad, Anscom. That's the weird thing. His decision... There was was that charge down kick, wasn't there? But generally speaking, I don't think his actual kicking was that horrendous. He just seemed to make... He he took the wrong (laughs) option to kick quite a lot. Yeah, over and over again. And, you know, those two penalty advantages being textbook examples uh, Mm. where, you know, he just booted one straight into touch when Hadley Parks was never going to get it anyway. And then he did that weird sort of pseudo-grubber, pseudo-kick over the top thing that was literally nowhere near anyone. And Yeah. Yeah, he just wasn't... His execution wasn't that good now, think about it, yeah. I just think, yeah, that's not his, you know, his his thing is you, you take the ball to the line, you you pass, you you know, he's got great quickness, he's got good feet, he's a really good runner in the open field, and he got, like, Wales were not set up to do that. They were set up to play the game that, you know, Dan Bigger came on and all of a sudden it was, you know, he did it with a plum because that's what Dan Bigger's really fucking good at. We said before, though, didn't we, that there's something about big, there's no better player than... I, people always say that the person coming off the bench should be your kind of your jinker and your defense I completely stretcher. disagree. It's well, actually, fucking... I think in a way, Big is the perfect guy to come off the bench because it is just yeah. like, right, I've been watching this now for about yeah. an hour <laughs> yeah. and you, I know, you know fucking exactly, on, exactly what needs to be to do, done. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's kind of why I feel like, you know, fuck it, stick with Anscom at 10. And play and a more. About game. Gatlin wanting to say, "You're my starting ten. Keep your head up. Yeah. Stay confident. Not a problem." Yeah, yeah. And but but also to say to bigger, you are the man that comes in and fucking wins the game. 
Have you ever seen a leg with He's more strapping than Dan Bigger had on his left leg, by the way? <laughs> but can we just say an absolute fucking curate's egg of a proper fucking torpedo kick in a test match where um, after the charge down uh, from yes. Gareth Davis after, shortly after he came on, <laughs> he just looks up with chaos around him and just executes a fucking yeah. 70 meter fucking Davis just shoveled some shit to him didn't he just went this is fucking oh, got, going down the field got charged got charged down got bounced into Bigger's hands he just looked up and went fuck it oh I'm and thinking of a different all, one I think but go yeah, on I'm talking about the torpedo when not long after he came on where Gareth Davis finally got charged down after fucking that was it Gareth Davis yeah that was it yeah it's yeah. the same one it is the same one yeah, yeah. dicing with death I'm getting mixed up between the pass and the charge down yeah yeah, by not having enough fucking. It was men just completely on. nonchalant. He just grabbed the ball yeah. and went, "This is yeah. fucking going yeah. bang." <laughs> absolutely went, and I reckon he's got a I, spring in that in that <laughs> strapping somewhere, <laughs> like cantilever spring going off. It's like you I get that torpedo kicks are hard, and they're quite hard to judge the dis. They're quite hard to judge the distance and direction of because of the. But fucking hell, when when a good kicker absolutely hits one. Oh, you don't see enough of it in rugby No, it days. was. I think I've got it as one of my goods later because it was... Yeah. I actually, you only glorious. let out an involuntary laugh. Oof, yeah. I can't... Because I can't, oh, I so exactly I like, when he kicked it, I was just like, well, this is going to be, you know, a safe one in the touch, trying to just clear the lines, put, keep us under pressure. No, he's abs... He smashed it up beyond the opposition. But it was kind of like... When you go to training, what people tend to do in training before it starts, everyone just gets a ball and starts booting it. Yeah. And it was a little bit like that. As a spawner yeah. his head, just like, fuck it, I'll leather in it. Brilliant. Yeah, that <laughs> yeah, was very, very good. Um, well, speaking of fly halves and such, hmm. though, where are England's reserve halfbacks? <laughs> That's the most. Well... The use of the bench, I've got that as a, a little note here use of yeah. the bench, because it puzzled me greatly. I don't know. Yeah. how Eddie looked at that last 20 minutes. So even when after, after the first five minutes, the last 20 minutes, if you like, mm. yeah. and didn't kind of go, We right, could do something here, boys. Yeah. Yeah, this is, you know, we're not going to, you know, even if you lose by another score, which they ended up doing anyway, you know, we do, let's have a look this at it. This is not working. And, and, and Ben Youngs and, and Farrell were being targeted quite hard then as well. Yeah. And I don't know um, why they didn't say, well, let's get Robson on to at least get a bit of pace around the base and all that kind of stuff and see what happens. Yeah. Well, I also don't understand why um, the ball just never went wide. I mean, how often did, how many carries did Tulangi and Slade Well, the two, are like, the two, I mean, I, I was going to have it in my ship, but yeah, fuck it. Like, how the fuck do you pick a player like Manny Tulangi at 12 and then you never use him as a crash ball threat at any point? He ran in the, the ball game. five times. Henry Slade ran it seven times. And Slade had that one. But when they did run it, got it, on the outside. It, it did all right. That's what I can't yeah, really it's understand. The thing. It's like they're so they were so wedded to that kick thing. It's like you know, Ford and Robson might as well be cardboard cutouts for all the use they're being made of at the moment. And I think, think and point like, about they big... want they want a fucking grand slam with a Ford Farrell ten twelve axis. Don't forget, like and if you and, it, and they've played with it long enough to know it could work, it could just slot so back you could into bring it. it on most of these, do you remember what the Ford yeah. Farrell axis did at Cardiff not so long ago? You know, yeah, it's it's it baffles me a little bit because everyone on that England team is long enough in the tooth and has been around long enough, with the maybe the exception of two and Aggie that they have played outside of a Ford Farrell act of ten twelve. Mm. They know what's coming there. Like, yeah, I just 
if I find it very strange how quickly George Ford has basically. But he's been come discarded. on in other games. This is you know, yeah. it's not like he's just and, and why. And I think a bit like the same point I was making with Bigger. You know, Ford's a good, a very much a good enough footballer to have looked at that and gone, "Put me on," because I can see what needs to be done here. Yeah. You know, I can, I, I will call some stuff that I think will make a difference here, as opposed to because I think Farrell had just, you know, he's and it wasn't. He went missing. You could say that, but I think he was just a bit all at sea. Well, I just think you said you, you know, you made the point about him and Youngs getting targeted, and they absolutely did. Like. The Welsh back row absolutely fucking hammered the pair of them. And I don't care how professional and good and hard a rugby player you are. If you're fucking... Every time you kick the ball or every time you pass the ball away, you're basically fucking getting up off the grass, having had somebody's fucking shoulders planted in your fucking sternum. After about 60 minutes of it, you're not making fucking good decisions. No. You're not... (laughs) Your mind is not at its sharpest and most logical because... You know, at the back of your mind, you're thinking about where's that fucking next rib-jarring hit coming from. I mean, from an England point, I mean, it just shows you the work they went through. I mean, 227 tackles, and they made 212 of them. I mean, yeah. 93% tackle completion, 227 tackles is ridiculous. Whatever's happening here, like, as much as John Mitchell might be a, a polarising character, slash a twat, who knows? <laughs> like, he... Is clearly a very, very fucking good defensive coach because he, you yes. know, his game plan was good against Wales, like, and it was effective for 65, 70 minutes, you know. It's, you know, and even when, you know, no fucking defence is designed to last 34 fucking phases. No, and, and it was beautifully played by Wales. <laughs> yeah. And beautifully executed. You know, if that isn't but, what you have 34 phases for, to create space, then use it. Yeah. I don't know what is it. For Corey Hill to be all the way fucking out there, when well, he should have yeah. been up there carrying some more. Didn't everybody carry in that in that set, apart from Gareth Davis? Probably, Everybody yeah. carried at least once, apart from Gareth Davis. And then Corey yeah. Hill was out there to run this kind of lovely angle into... A beautiful angle. Didn't think he had... Genuinely didn't think he had it Yeah, in. more examples of... Forward drawing better angles than backs, which yeah, keeps absolutely. happening. Absolutely. Well, he is a he's a British and Irish lion for he a reason. He is a British and know. Irish lion. He is. <laughs> he is for a reason. Yeah, he was nearby. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. And the England uh, discipline problem keeps raising yeah. his head. I mean, the fact is, is that if our discipline had been a bit better in the first half, we could have been further ahead, which might have brought some questions into Welsh minds. Yeah. In the second well, I mean, half. Wales only conceded what three penalties, Correct. and one of them and. Well, in fact, two of them were never fucking penalties. So, oh, one of them was pr- the no arms. The one of them was the tipperish no arms tackle, oh, which had had loads of arms in it, and the other one was Sinclair's the penalty that Sinclair won by putting his hand on the floor and then falling over. Right. And in the first scrum, but after that, you know, they were pretty much spotless. It was funny. Um, I've time to talk about these no arms tackles where they were saying. And there's a tipping one, and that's not a penalty. Look, because he's trying to bring his arm And the Sinclair one's the same. If you look at this, oh, no, no, actually, no, that is a penalty. <laughs> yeah, well, I, can't remember who, I can't remember who it was, but they were, they were just like, no, no. It was no, Jono. Jono went, like, oh, no, it is one, yeah. like, one of those is a penalty, and one of those isn't. Oh, that was Gusky afterwards. Because then they were yeah, like, yeah. Jono, he said, no, no, let's be clear. One of them is, one of them isn't, yeah. It's, yeah, it's like fair play, yeah. Let's cut back the bullshit there. But, um, yeah, you know, uh, another thing that I learned, and it doesn't just apply to the Wales-England game, but 
Test rugby can make you look old very, very quickly. Uh, Grieg is looking glacial again. Yes. Seems to have the pace and acceleration of a fucking Galapagos. Tort. I cannot work out if Hadley Park's had a bad game or not. No, I know what you mean. I think he made some really bad decisions. Such I think it was the... a six out of ten, which is not a bad yeah. game. It's just not a great game either. No, and I just think he is looking slow now. He like, did look very slow, and doesn't it, he? it's noticeable. Like, and he still makes, he still broadly made. He made some bad decisions on Saturday, but most of the time he makes the right decision. But I think the problem is Owen Watkins could be starting at 12 and while he might not make as good a decisions as Hadley Parks does all the time, Owen Watkins is like 20 years old yes. <laughs> and and has the size of... He's as big as Hadley Parks, but he's about twice as quick as him. And it's... I don't think it's going to change, though, is it? They're going to, I don't think it's going to change carry this through Because when you can't yeah. win a game like that, or you can't be three wins and then say, oh, I'll just change the centre. It's not very. It's not a very Gatlin thing to do. If Gatlin's yeah. shown us one thing, is staying with an inside, big inside centre that's lost his pace is something he's well fucking behind. Yeah, he you know, and he'll be behind it for, like, another he, 30 he caps. So, yeah. And, yeah, but, you know, it's sad in a way because you look at Hadley, like, 18 months ago, he was Wales's like, saviour at 12... And now it's just like he's a bit of a ship's anchor in that midfield. And I think that's a bit too harsh as an outsider looking in. But I see what you're a, saying. He's not what he was, but yeah. From an attacking point of view, I mean, he's. How much were you shitting yourself? He had to turn and chase that ball while Johnny May was oh, after him. Jesus. <laughs> well, that was the thing. It's like, oh, God. He's like, <laughs> watching that, it was just like, mate, you have lost all of that. Like, he didn't have much pace to begin with. But he, I don't know, maybe he's injured. Maybe he's just in absolutely stinking form because he's not played well for the Scarlets all season. But mm. it's just sad to watch because he's such a classy player. He is. I mean, don't forget as well, Wales had like a dysfunctional line-out for big chunks Honestly, of this game. Honestly, unbelievably bad. Yeah, comically bad. Another thing for my shit, but fuck it, I'll say it now. Like, <laughs> How are we winning games with a line-out that literally does not function at all? We lost like three or four against the head. And that's just like you, any team that loses three or four of their own fucking line outs should lose. But somehow we managed to not fuck it up. I mean, the only fucking England try came off the fact that we're incapable of fucking executing any kind of line out thing. Mm. It's. It wasn't for me. I mean, I know that we have a. I, I tweeted that, you know, the sense of doom creeping on Saturday stuff. And that's generally how I feel before most sporting occasions involving England in every sport, to be honest. But um, it it wasn't, this result wasn't a great surprise. I made this point, and like, I know Inverdale's a cock, but I mean, afterwards, there was a bit of a kind of, oh, well, that's a shock, isn't it? Well, no. Because yes, England had done okay, but it wasn't exactly, it wasn't exactly an all-encompassing, uncontrollable game plan they were playing. As we made the point last week, they've not played against a fullback yet. Paul Williams made the point that they've not played against the back row that's <laughs> quick yet. And although, to be fair, Tom Curry was... was fucking excellent. Fucking yeah. amazing. At 20, uh, and, and, and wasn't particularly bossed by that back row. But it disrupted no. enough. And, and I think there's that... And this is why I come back to this point about was it a, a cunning plan? Because everything that I thought was England comfortably containing this limited Welsh attack was all just part of this chess game that after 60 minutes they'd start doing something different when England was shattered. And maybe it's maybe. it's interesting. Like it's 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 a very. I do agree with you that 
it it shouldn't have been as big a shock as it was. I thought England would win just because I feel like I felt like Wales have forgotten how to attack in any kind of fluid way. And for you know all but ten minutes of that game, they demonstrated you know they had no fucking idea how to attack properly. But but was it, it all deliberate? Was, I'm coming back to well, this theory. I, I think it was all deliberate. They're know, not that bad a I player. Th- I figured. I thought. I think I predicted England by like seven or something like that. Was my kind of. I I didn't expect I said it England to be by an five. Island. I think. Yeah. Yeah, and I think I didn't expect it to be an Ireland or France style hammering because I feel like, you know, it's a cliche that Wales lift their game to play England, but in the way England plays suits Wales. Like, yeah, I don't think England. Wales have played themselves into this tournament quite happily, I think. Yeah. And and the two weeks in between has been quite useful. Yeah. I don't, I don't think England can... would I don't think let's say, I don't know, let's say a different team came to Cardiff this Saturday. I don't think that Wales would have played with any less intensity. This I think this England yeah. Cardiff factor thing. It's all in the fucking media and it's the all fact. in the because actually I think that kind of intensity and that kind of play would have been you know, if if it was a bloody French prop who gripped hold of Alan Wynne Jones, he'd still be laughing at him. Yeah, it wasn't yeah, because but... he was English, you know. No, and these players, you know, they've you know they've got enough rivalry with all you know they'll play that hard next week. Well, they Hopefully want to win a play... fucking game, don't they? Yeah, and they all do. Like, I'm genuinely intrigued to see how they go against Ireland because you know rivalry wise, it's been. You know, just as intense against Ireland, even though it's not nearly as hyped. And I don't know. It's yeah. It's not a lot of the stuff that goes on around it is bollocks. <laughs> Let's be honest. Like all of the fuck. It's a it's a media creation and a sort of hype creation. And I think this is the thing, isn't it? Because I said after the game, I said I can't. Why are so many people acting like this is surprising? And actually, when I look at the people I engage with on Twitter, those people aren't surprised by it. It's yeah. The, it's the. It's the. I went on. I went on Love Sport on Saturday morning for their bloody like a ten minute on the rugby, and and, yeah. it, it, and it was people who are not really into rugby, but asking me quite typically media tabloidy type questions. Yes, they and do. I think I, I think I bored them rigid by being quite boring and technical about everything about <laughs> back rows and and fullbacks and things like that, you know. But it's, uh, a, it's a wonder that we both don't get phoned by love sort more, given <laughs> that that's exactly what we do. Yeah. yeah. Um, this well, is the biggest game of the past ten years, isn't get... it? No, no, probably no, not. Not really. Yeah. This will be this will be one of Wales's greatest ever wins, wouldn't it? No, Ian Fr- really. Well, Ian Farouja got in touch on Twitter and he said, "Good." This he said the Welsh performance. He said, "He said I was sober and I cried a little tear, which is what a wonderful thing sport is." He said, "The best performance I've ever seen from them, in my opinion." It depends how you define best, doesn't it? Because I mm. think I think there's there was something about the discipline, the control, and executing a relatively it was a, simple one of the game most, plan. It was one of the most professional. Yes, displays, that's a good I would word. say. Yes, like it was a really, really kind of. A very compelling execution of a a very, very, very well. It's sort of like watching like the NFL in a lot of ways. Obviously, the NFL has fantastic athletes, but like quite a lot of the enjoyment of watching the NFL sometimes is watching how the defensive and offensive schemes scheme against one another. And, you know, you can really appreciate the brilliance of like play design that's designed to sort of lull a defense into a false sense of security one way. Rope-a-dope. 
Yeah, and it's and it sort of felt like watching that. You were watching a team that absolutely knew what they were going to do, and Gatland and Edwards absolutely fucking completely outcoached. It Edwards had shades of um... Mitchell in that kind of. They they just had. They saw them coming. They saw what they were doing, and they knew that. And that's why it was the... a surprise to me. Don't forget, England played Ireland a month ago now. Yeah, they've you know Gatland and that team have had a month to look at this. <laughs> yeah, you know, so it's not a great surprise and that they might they have figured it out. They clearly weren't that bothered about Italy because I don't even know if they bothered to do any coaching that week. Yeah, I think they just so... had the first fifteen training on another field for England. Yeah, basically. yeah. I mean, and, and the game plan it reminded me not completely, but it had shades of of, of the All Blacks in that first Lions test. Yeah, it did. In a 2017, bit. that kind of I think Paul Williams described it as a room as the Roman tortoise moving forward, you know. <laughs> and and it's not quite the same because I think New Zealand were more dominant and, and the yes, Lions were at sixes and sevens a lot of the time in that game. But it had that feeling, you know. And Gatland is any coach is, but Gatland, I think people forget how much top level experience Gatland has now, not just with Wales, yeah, but you know, yeah. numerous Lions tours. He grew up and. Grew up around New Zealand and played for the All Blacks, etc., etc., etc. You know, yeah, he, you know, he's been at Wales for eleven years now, and in between that, has managed another international team. I so, think that's yeah. something that people forget as well. Has has what has been on three Lions tours, and before that, he won the Heineken Cup and the Premiership with Wasps. And he, His you know, fucking CV is genuinely, with the exception of Steve Hansen. Yes. In terms of active coaches in the world. And, you know, Steve Hansen's not won anything domestically. Like, Gatland's won domestic mm. and international honours. Like, but Hansen's obviously won multiple World Cups, so whatever. But with the exception of Hansen, there's no other coach on the planet that has Gatland's CV. And, you know, that can be a, a hindrance sometimes because he can be very set in his ways and he can be very convinced that he knows best and he can be slightly reluctant to embrace new ideas, new thinkings and, and that sort of thing. It takes him a while to but you adjust. have to know your own mind to be in that job, don't you? Exactly. And I think that's if you don't believe you from. can bend the world to your will, you don't do that job. <laughs> well you know you're not a fucking professional sports coach full stop, yeah, let alone one as fucking successful as he is. And also and, he gets yeah. extra points for in two thousand and nine holding up a lion shirt on a coat hanger and pointing <laughs> at it when he was doing when he was the defence coach. And go, they're gonna go out there and beat those cunts. Yeah, well, the bit where he, those, those cunts bit is his lion's fucking glory. It's the fact man. that it's on a coat hanger. Yeah, I won't be able to hold it up with one hand properly. It'll be all yeah, saggy and flapping. So I'll have to keep it on this fucking Maintain hanger. the shape of the jersey. <laughs> the integrity of the jersey's gonna be fucked. <laughs> like those cunts are gonna get fucked. Uh. Uh, and on that note. Yeah. Yeah. So onward. Who's, who's Wales got next? <laughs> uh, Scotland, Scotland next. At Murrayfield, yeah. which is uh, it's 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 more of a speed bump than I'd like it to be at this stage in the tournament. I'd like to have England's running. I'll put it that way. So let's. Yeah, they got Italy next thing, then haven't they? Then Italy Scotland and then home. Scotland at home. So. <laughs> so speaking of Scotland <laughs> and speed bumps. Yes. Should we talk oh. about France? <laughs> France versus Scotland. Oh. Somebody did ask if we could not talk about Scotland this week. We're afraid we can't do that. No, unfortunately, it's a thing, isn't it? You know, it's ha- there's only three games that matter this weekend, really. <laughs> and yes. one of them was very unfortunate. And I'm not for covering Scotland. the Benetton versus the Dragons. 
So, well, yeah, I mean, that was obviously there'll be a mention of that later, probably, weekend. But, uh, oh boy, um, yeah, Scotland. Do you remember him, um, Super Saturday back in 2015? I do, great when, day. When you know, Wales did that number on Italy, and yes. then basically, if, if Scotland was... had to then somehow not get fucking battered by uh, Ireland, and, we'd have, and it we'd didn't have... happen. And I yeah. remember tweeting on that day, you had one job, Scotland, which was not to be shit. Yeah. And I'm probably being a little bit too cruel because this isn't <laughs> quite the same. But there is an element of, they had lots of injuries, I accept that. And I actually did, but I, I tweeted before the game, and some people say that means it's my fault. But I did tweet to say, when the squad came out, a very positive thing for Scottish rugby is that given, every, you know, they have lost a first team to injuries. Yeah. Not just in numbers, into like in every position Actual somebody's position. in. Yeah, you they, can name they, a 15 they, that's injured. They're weakened in every rugby. position yeah. but loose head prop. And... I said, isn't it amazing for Scottish rugby and their sourcing and their and then their development that they they can name they have that many injuries and name a squad that's that good? Yeah. Now I know there's some untried combinations in there and all that kind of stuff, but actually, talent wise, that is a bloody good fifteen. Absolutely. And it's not that yeah. dissimilar to the fifteens that are going out in the European Cup and, and causing upsets and all that kind of stuff. Mm. So for them to just get rolled over so badly, I think is kind of unforgivable, really. It's. What, Am I being too I find, cruel? The, find that, the thing that I find genuinely and made me really angry at the time was it took until gone 60 minutes for someone in a Scotland shirt to see if the French back three's positioning was still as shite as it was last week. Mm. Because the second that they, you know, they put one or two fucking kicks into space and all of a sudden you've got the back three fucking shouting at each other and saying, why are you standing there? Because <laughs> yeah, they don't great, they it? don't know where they... They still don't know where they're fucking supposed to stand. But having discovered that, they then didn't bother to try that again. And it's like, you literally must have watched the England game on video. You saw what that damage that did. And you just were like, no, we're going to just continue to run at this, you know, perfectly decent and always solid French defence aimlessly and pointlessly until we maybe get a clean break and then nobody's going to bother going with him. I mean, on the one level, I think I think France brought more physical dynamism and domination than they Absolutely have done. Absolutely they did, yeah. Maybe apart from the first half versus Wales, which is, to be honest, that performance looked a bit like the first half versus Wales. Um, and they had Antoine Dupont. Yeah, I think I mean, he made Dupont's a significant, a significant yeah. fucking difference. I think that, you know, they found it... It's also his head size to body size ratio is staggering. All over the place. It's, it's staggering. Happening. He looks like R2-D2. It's fucking great. But uh... well, <laughs> when, you, when you got him and... Uh, oh, what's his face? The reserve 10, whose name has just completely fucking gone out of mind. Scotland's reserve 10. Ah! Hastings. Right. Oh, yes. When you, get, when you get Hastings and him on the... You know, it's such a weird contrast in head size, you know? <laughs> Hastings, yeah. but he's, he's, you know, he's tall sort of... He's Reese mogg isn't he? Reese yeah, mogg yeah. in the head. He's got a tall sort of like, you know, 500ml can of lager. Peaky blinders. Big can of Stella head, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then you've got DuPont that's more of a sort of like an Australian like dumpy beer kind of... I don't know why they're all beer. I mean, we've been doing too much of beer. <laughs> a stubby can. Shits. A stubby yeah, can, He's yeah. a stubby, yeah. He's one of those tiny cans of Heineken. That are somehow uh, more expensive than the cheap, big size cans yeah, of I don't know why. That doesn't make any sense, does it? Anyway. Um, yeah, but I think certainly 
France have found at least one of the halfbacks that they should be starting the World Cup with now. Like Dupont is a superstar, which of course means they won't do that. No, yeah, yeah, they'll be, they'll, you know, they'll probably fucking bring Elisard out of retirement or something. I don't know. Um, (laughs) To play ten again. Yeah. (laughs) Speaking of ten, how convinced are you by Mr. Dupont's halfback partner and Tamak? Yeah. Um, I remain unconvinced. But I suppose I would do for somebody. That's basically, of that yeah. Age. I mean, I, like I thought, like people. There was were enough saying, to oh, keep they, going with it. Yeah, they were like, oh, they found their next, you know, the halfback combination. I was like, oh, they a, found one of them. It's amazing what fifty percent competence does to friend watching <laughs> French games. Honestly, isn't it? because like, they're so used to fifteen percent competence. When yeah. you get fifty percent, go look, oh, he's fucking brilliant. This guy. No, he's yeah. not. He's just he's not fifteen percent. No, he's, he's, he was. He was all right. He, he did was. quite well. While his forwards were giving him and his scrum half were giving him an absolute sedan share ride, like there's definitely like, he's definitely like talented say, and he, sh- he should be. He's, he's say, certainly worth, better than fucking Lopez. Absolutely worth sticking with, which obviously means that they will never play together again in a French shirt. But you know, <laughs> well, and he's miles better than Lopez. But then again, a fucking food mixer with ribbons tied to him better than Lopez. So. <laughs> Look, can we just get Tran Duke back in and forget all of this? Nonsense? He's going to Racing ninety two. Tran Duke, I know, I know. Massive contract play. still. Massive contract wherever he goes. I don't, I don't understand it. I don't understand Bastero either. But that's, he's like Keanu Reeves and the Devil's Advocate. He just keeps getting these massive jobs. <laughs> Al Pacino pulling the strings behind. A lot of film references this week. I'm liking it. Yeah, uh, yeah. we need to talk about Bastero. <laughs> Uh, another film reference. Now, that's the thing you see. Now you see Bastrock could teach Scotland a thing or two. Scotland hear us <laughs> saying things on the on the pod and they implode. Bastro's yeah. obviously listening and goes, yeah. "Right, you fuckers!" I'll fucking show you. I I was watching Marnonu all those years. I was playing next to him in Toulon. I'm going to learn how to kick as well. The fact is, most weeks I can't be asked. But let me show you exactly <laughs> yeah. what I can do. <laughs> I mean, I feel like people. Again, in the same way that, as you say, 50% competency <laughs> is instantly the best thing ever. I feel like it was very, very oversold how good Bastero He was. looked like a reasonable international centre. <laughs> yes, yeah. In the same way that Fiku had his sort of what biannual fucking game where he looks like an international centre. I love that the commentator said, Fiku looks so much more composed in the centre. Well, yeah, but there's a difference between looking composed versus what he was doing last week, which was yeah. running in the fucking wrong direction. <laughs> like he was a Monty Python sketch. Yes. Like just because he's not doing that doesn't mean he looks completely yeah. composed. He's, yeah. just, he's just better than that. Yeah. It's all these relative measures with France, isn't it? Yeah. Well, they're not a like... fucking total shambles. Yeah. Therefore, they're playing the well. They, they, they looked alarmingly non-mental. <laughs> and that's kind of... It's... You know, that was enough for Andy Mental, not mental. Them. Good enough. Yeah. That was enough for Andy Robinson to call them a complete team at the end of the game, which is one of the most ridiculous things anyone's ever said. Uh, to be fair, he's got no eyes, Andy Robinson. He can't see anything. No. Like Yako Piper. <laughs> Honestly, though, on a completely tangential note, what is it about England's 2003 World Cup winning coaches that since they've left the coaching arena, they just continue to go out of their way to make themselves look like the stupidest men on the planet? <laughs> Like fucking Woodward after that game, like oh let's get rid of Fallow like the rest weeks in the Six Nations. Why? Because oh it ruins momentum. It didn't ruin Wales's momentum. And also, 
have you seen modern rugby? Let's, yeah, let's just play fucking four test matches or five test There's matches. There's also the entire fucking flawed notion be... of what momentum even fucking is. Well, anyway. Yeah. But like, yeah, let's play let's play five fucking test matches in like of ridiculous intensity in consecutive weeks and see how many players are left after that. What's wrong with him? He's I, just, so... I think he's just forever now trying to because he he had such a disaster with the Lions afterwards. I think he's forever trying to explain that, no, I was brilliant, by the way. And what? I didn't definitely just have seven of the best players of all time in my team who managed to fucking sort it all out. I was listening to the... Uh, I think he might have been on Fighting Talk, actually. You know, Mike Bubbins' manner. Um, a couple of weeks ago, and there was some question about, like, what, like, retired coach or player do you think could, like, effortly, instantly step back into the top level and have a massive success? And one of them said Clive Woodward. I was like, are you fucking kidding me? Have you, lit- have you heard anything that man has said since he stopped fucking trying to be a football Did coach? you hear what he said when he was the coach? I know he won a World yeah. Cup, but and it, was all, it was all mildly ridiculous, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. It, we were all just incredibly surprised that this fucking, you know... Robinson, my a lot of people man, say Robinson was the kind of guy, was. to be honest, in, in all of that setup. Apparently a very good coach. Not Maybe not number one. Yeah, but, you know, there's a place for a good assistant in those things. Mm. But, yeah, you know, Clive Wood just seemed to be, like, spouting... He just ran seminars. Mid-90s fucking management seminars, exactly. I think he was right on many levels. On on many levels. On many levels, he did identifying that performance. He was one of the first people properly to get a real grip of the performance environment. Mm. And because I think he was a bit of a pioneer with it, understandably, he did a lot of stuff that was bollocks. Because yeah. he's like, well, try that then, try that. Cause, and then yeah, it got refined enough. down and refined down. And then, then you get this performance environment now, which is actually quite a well-refined, and I'm sure there's academic studies on this, you know, w- which will demonstrate what happened. So I do think, but I think then he's he's just he's, he just believes his own press he's now. He's got high on his own supply for a very yes. long time, hasn't he? But, yeah, it's just, I was just... As a sort of thing, I'm just like, you guys won the World Cup. You both did. <laughs> Why are you talking such bollocks? Stupid. <laughs> um, going back to Scotland. Yes. The um, <clears throat> You know, you can make a point. They've got injuries. You know, they've only won twice in France in the past 40 years or whatever it is. But the hmm. trouble is, unless they start changing those records, they're <laughs> yeah. not, you know what I mean? You've got to, you've got to kind of, blast through the wall at some point haven't you you've got to have the paradigm shift at some point and I don't know it's it's so difficult I think for Scotland because they don't know they've been struggling with injuries for so long they can probably genuinely never really say we've had the 23 that we want consistently playing 6 to 10 games on the bounce to see if this plan they've got can consistently work because if they can get if they can do what they did to England last year consistently, yeah. then they're going to be all right. But I just don't. And I, the worry then is, is that one, how do you build resilience in your game plan and your squad? Really? Yeah, but that's the thing because everybody has to deal with that. When was the last time Wales had a fully fit fifteen to pick on for England for that matter? You know, England have had horrendous injury problems with key players over the last couple I'm of years. I'm trying to give you a break. Josh is shitting all over you again. <laughs> well, I just think, like, yeah, I I, am, I absolutely sympathise with the level of injuries that they've had because it's comical and stupid yeah, yeah, it's, and, it's and horribly unfair. And, and ridiculous, yeah. But at the same time, 
there's got you know rugby you know the injury rate in rugby is a hundred percent you know every player is injured all the time pretty much one way or another like and you've got to be able to as a coach at the top level you've got to be able to like do some sort of you've got to be able to work with that you've got to be able to work with what you've got and you've got to be able to you know i know scotland has a small talent pool but like you said, you know that squad. Well, that the team, team looked they, all right. The team they put out on the weekend, and there was a combinations been... issue, which is always difficult. And France demonstrated yeah. that that as soon as it got beyond fucking Dupont, it all went a bit wrong. Yeah. But um, you know, even with the chip and chasing Bastero, yeah, <laughs> once one small. But what what you cannot? Scotland did not front up enough physically. No, and that's not a combinations thing. That's something entirely different. That's being a bit bullied, and I do. And actually, then you and look at how some, many times you look at something like, like Grant Gilchrist, who wasn't. And yeah. I and I went to this the the France Scotland fixture at Murrayfield last year, and I remember mm. being incredibly impressed with Gilchrist seeing him live. Yeah, because he really does fucking put it about. Yeah, and they need a little bit more of that, I think. But I think you know now. How many times have we said that? Oh, Scotland! They just got a bit bullied. They got a bit. You know, they got physically outmatched. It was Ireland game, exactly the same. Yeah. You know, Wales in the autumn, exactly the same. But they've got a perfect opportunity now because they're at home, which is, you know, they're much they're a much mm. better team mm. at home. And they've got Wales coming into town who, you know, if nothing else, <coughs> they played Wales like three months ago. And they got outthought and outmuscled. And surely this is the time where they just go, well, lads, let's just look at what we actually did two months ago or three months ago, however long ago it was, and just not do that. And good things will probably happen. They were a better team with Alan Hastings on the field. They were, even though even though he is just like, fuck it, I'll do it myself, extraordinaire man. Like, the man for a fly-off, he seems to be absolutely allergic to passing. But he puts it about he's everywhere. Yes. I, I like that about him. He gets stuck in. But I feel like sometimes Greg maybe Townsend didn't trust him because he just gets stuck in too much. Yes. Stop putting your he, tiny pointy head where it hurts. Yeah. It'll take exactly. a minute. Sta- stand off a little bit and look get your head up and look You are at the a game. standoff, literally yeah. stand, stand off. The fuck off, mate. Yeah. Yes. But yeah, you know, it's it's a it's an interesting one. I feel like Scotland absolutely there was a France were decent on the weekend. They should still have not beaten that Scotland team. And if the fly-off issue is an issue, you know, after Finn, it is all very unconvincing for one reason or another. But they've got to... If Finn Russell is going to stay in France and be unavailable at certain times and, you know, have to play in these Six Nations test windows and be thrown to the fucking top... 14 dogs, then you know, you're going to have to have a bit of a plan B there. And so, yeah, what do you, you know, as a Scotland, what do you do now? Do you think we've got a World Cup in six months' time? And I've just been distracted by the fact that Entomac made 20 fucking tackles. He fucking did. What the fuck is he doing doing that? Speaking of putting, I take it all back. That, it's fucking what, what brilliant. What happens yeah. when you put a man who's played his entire fucking career at twelve at ten? He just goes, "Well, 
everyone's coming down my channel for some reason, so I'm just going to keep fucking <laughs> I'll just shuffle left a bit, have <laughs> Have you ever yeah. seen somebody who looks less like an international three-quarter than Nick Gregg? Honestly, like he's... He no, and I don't literally mean the way he played. I mean literally no. what he looks like. He looks it like a third-team blindside. It was genuinely funny watching him and Bastero sort of stand <laughs> opposite each other because it was such a fucking ridiculous contrast in everything. You know, he's five foot nine and he's an international centre. It's just like, the fact he just looks like a plasterer that I, yeah. I particularly like he, about him. I think he looks he looks like the sort of lad who isn't like who doesn't end up who plays like club rugby as you say, like he plays club <laughs> rugby because even though he was capable and he had a bit of skill, he wasn't quite big enough to be, yes. you know. So now he just is really angry and plays club <laughs> rugby. And that's kind of, and, but he plays like that to such a high level, you know? It's like, how do you play that sort of game of sort of pure fucking spite and anger and ride that all the way to... And, he's, you know, he's a very good player. Yeah, yeah, he, he was all right. It's just, it's just, he just, just looks so out of place. It's just yeah, really funny. Yeah, it, it, it does. His face does not fit. His size does not fit. He's a massive throwback, and I that's think not how professional three quarters are meant to look in this day and age. No, it's and really I kind of love not, that, and I, I do love it. Yeah. Anyway, we need to move on. Time is ticking yeah. by. Uh, Ireland versus Italy. Mm-hmm. Who saw this one coming? Yeah, I mean, we probably should have because really. Ireland's pro like Ireland's problem at the moment is that both of their halfbacks are in fucking rotten form. And like, actually, there's something about um, the England performance that yeah. when you play a game plan like that, which let's be honest, is a lot like Ireland were playing. Mm. If your halfbacks drop off by ten percent, yeah, it, it it does it doesn't go anything like as well. Put it no. that way. And you look at it, like usually when, you know, Murray and Sexton have obviously been through sort of periods of not playing brilliantly in the past. But usually when one of them is having a rough game, the other one is capable of kind of picking up the slack a little bit. But this is the sort of very rare and very awkward occasion for Ireland where they're both in a right funk and both of them look hideously short of form and really out of sorts and like... You know, Murray's Sexton's fucking... fuming, isn't he, a lot of the time? Sexton's so, angry. In a bad like, way, he's kind of chippy and angry a lot of the time, but yeah, that gets him Sexton's going or something like that. You know. Sexton's done that thing that he did in the start of his career where things aren't going his way and he gets really fucking narky and he gets really frustrated and he tries too hard. And, and then the flip side then, Murray is just fucking all over the place. Like, I know he had a bad injury. Mm. And he's and I, I, I know that Ireland are fucking really struggling for scrum halves at the moment as well. And so, you know, I don't blame... Joe Schmidt for picking him in spite of the fact that he's in. And I don't think any good comes from just starting John Cooney because there's been a bit no. of a drop in form. You, you know, you've, no. there is something about continuity, especially when he's six months out from the biggest tournament in the world, you know. Yeah. And like, but yeah, they're both like, because fucking hell, Murray's passing and Murray's kicking, which is usually both so good. Like, his kicking, his box kicking has been fucking appalling this tournament. Nothing was as bad as Tobaldi's passing. Have you ever seen a player who plays that well who can <laughs> throw so many shit passes? I mean, yeah, but I, I sort of remember when he used to play for the Ospreys. So, yeah. <laughs> oh, God, um, yeah, I forgot he played for the yeah, Ospreys. Yeah. Fuck, you know. yeah, yeah, it's weird, that one. Um, but the reality with, with Sexton and Murray is, you know, they're both class players, 
world class players. Yes. But and it might click again by next week. You know, they might. You know, France might come to town and they might both be back to their old selves again. Of course, they probably would be because you know Wales have got to play them next. So yeah, such is my annoying life. But uh, <laughs> you know, the big part. You look at Ireland and you just think. They're so reliant on those two setting the tone. You know, as every team is, you know. Yeah. Most teams are run from halfback. Yeah. If your halfbacks do not perform, then your whole thing falls apart. And, you know, the forwards are not playing badly. You know, even the backs, the outside backs are not playing badly. They're just starved of possession. But it's just like there's absolutely... This team just seems to be reflecting the current mindset of its two most influential players and both of them just seem a bit fucking pissed off and a bit annoyed and a bit frustrated and that's kind of what Ireland are doing at the moment is they're just kind of frustratedly, angrily, kind of inefficiently muddying their way through games against inferior teams, which is a weird one. I think the thing with Italy, they brought a little bit of chaos, didn't they? They brought a bit of madness. They did. And the thing is, ultimately, they lost comfortably in the end. Yeah, so I'm, and Matt, you, can, you yeah. can read too much into, oh, look at this. It's actually, well, when you, it's like when people play the Barbarians. You know, Barbarians, you don't ever beat a Barbarians team to nil, do you? No. They'll frighten you a bit and they'll fuck with your patterns because they don't have one. Yeah. And that's yeah. what Italy were kind of doing on Saturday. They were just all over the place. So there's yeah. something about you have to just ride this and then when we've got the ball, they won't be able to cope with us. And yeah, that's I'm, kind of how I, it was around. So I don't think it's too much to worry about, really. Well, in the first sort of, in the first 10 minutes or so, it was like that. And it was like, oh, this will be fine then. And then Ireland completely lost their way for about 20 minutes. And then they remind, remembered, come on, lads, yeah. it's fucking Italy here. And it was fine, you know. And in the end, they win by 10 points. They get the bonus point. Title yeah. retention is still on. Yeah. Yes. It's nothing too much. They were caught cold by England. Yeah. It's not been great fun since. You know, they were, they were stodgy against Scotland, but still managed to win. They've won this game. They're home to France next, or is it in Paris? Uh, I think they're at home to France. So yeah, it's yeah, really so, you interesting. Know, I yeah, the worry. I'd, I wouldn't worry about the result generally. I am. You, you've got to be worried when both your halfbacks are playing bad. Like you said, there yeah. seems to be. And again, this little break now should give them maybe a bit of time. <laughs> yeah, long term, there's absolutely nothing to worry about. For the remainder of the Six Nations, they just need to hope that the pair of them get back on the same page and get back into some semblance of form. Padovani's a very fucking good player. He absolutely is. Like, By the way. If I've not said that before, I should say it again. Hayward played well as well, the fullback. Yeah, he did actually. Like Padovani, like was he was he English qualified? CC was, wasn't he? Yeah. CC played in one of the twenties. Don't think Padovani was. No, maybe I'm just making that up in my brain. But like yeah, and Italian rugby, you know, some people are saying, like, what's the point in Italian rugby after they lost, after they failed to beat the reigning fucking Grand Slam champions? Well, it's a great game to watch. It's a great game. Some some people were trotting out the same, you know, what's the point in Italy? Why do we still fucking have these guys? It's like, you know what? All of the supposed good players in Italy are on that fucking field, narrowly losing to Ireland and giving a really good fist of it. And while, you know, the day before that, they're fucking apparent third and second string fucking time wasters are putting 60 points on the fucking Dragons who have only lost two players to the fucking Wales squad. Like, yeah. you know, 
Italian rugby might not be where... Would you rather not have the games to watch is the question, really? Because there's nobody else coming yeah. in. No, so, it's like Georgia are not fucking good enough. They're not good enough. It's 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 like, very it's very rose tinted the views of yeah of Georgia. you know, but it's yeah I I just I find that whole fucking sketch weird now because like yeah they gave them, they've given a good account of themselves two weeks on the bounce you know yeah they made life really hard for Wales they made life really hard for Ireland. And while they're supposed best player, they've only got two teams. While you know, thirty of those players, you know, fifteen players from each squad there or thereabouts, were off with the national team. They could still put out a domestic team strong enough to put sixty points on the Dragons. Indeed, it's going <sighs> yeah. okay. It's going fine. Just chill out. Acast recommends. Podcasts we love. Changemakers is a new podcast series with me, Claire McKenna, talking to people who stand up, speak out, or challenge us to think a little differently. It's about the greater good, families and children, respecting their own individuality. In the next couple of years, like I hope I never have to have conversations about racism ever again. Like, I just want to get to the stage where, you know, people are just people. Nobody's pooling the resources together and actually being able to show how much of an impact it will make when people do come together. Changemakers with Claire McKenna. Search for it now wherever you get your podcasts. Acast is home to the world's best podcasts, including the David McWilliams podcast, I'm Grandmam, and the one you're listening to right now. Right then, shall we move on to finishing off with shit good? Yes. Thank you all for your submissions, a bumper crop this week. Indeed. What do you want to do first, Josh? I always leave this Uh, up to you. You do, actually, don't you? Should we do good first? Why not? (laughs) I'll start. Um, Yes. Alan Wynne Jones calmly pointing to the ref that he was being throttled while he was being throttled. <laughs> being throttled. <laughs> it was the. You, yeah. Are you seeing this? It was just the pointing, wasn't yeah. it? Ref, yeah. look. <laughs> it's completely calm. It speaks volumes to how many times somebody has throttled him in a ruck that he's just entirely unbothered he's by. He's just it. imperious, isn't he? Yeah. Like it, it's. I mean, Twitter is a fucking shit tip as I say often on this fucking podcast but like the fact that people were trotting out the oh Alan Wynne Jones is just overrated blah 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 nonsense I mean they are massively the minority of these people they are, I don't understand they, I just, where these people come from though who ha- yeah where like what I think their body genuinely what game are you watching like he what sport are you watching how can you fundamentally you understand the sport so little do you think Alan Wynne Jones is overrated? Yeah. He will literally be one of the greatest forwards ever to have played the game and yeah. it's a hundred and forty yeah. year history. <laughs> yeah. He might very well be the greatest Welsh player of all time and might be by the time he finishes. He's certainly in the discussion. He's absolutely you know, he's absolutely Wales' best ever lock. Yes. Without a fucking doubt in my mind. But Him and know, Robert Sadoli, yeah. Well, obviously. <laughs> But <laughs> Chris Wyatt. Yeah, well, hey, I was watching the uh, the documentary BBC Wales made about the 99 Wembley game the other day. Uh, he Chris was Wyatt's, one of the new... Chris Wyatt's, yeah, Chris Wyatt's taking the ball off the top for Gibbs' try. Chris Wyatt was generally one of the new mobile locks, is what yes. they called him back then. It was a new yeah. thing in 1999 to athletic. have these locks that were athletic, yeah. and he that was one of them. Yeah. He was particularly athletic, which is him in Scott's bar in Cardiff of a weekend. He looked very athletic then. <laughs> But um, 
Yeah, when Tim uh, Rodber moved into the second row, he was another one, an athletic yeah. second row when yeah. Tim Rodber moved up there. <laughs> anyway. Anyway, yeah. Yeah, so, he's yeah. just ridiculously good. He's yeah. fucking brilliant, isn't he? Uh, equally, Liam Williams. I, genu- I genuinely didn't think he had a game like that in him. Like, And I'm not saying... Like, we know he's a great player and he's a lion and he's a great fullback, but like in terms of the discipline that he showed and the game reading ability to be that defensively rock solid. It's how while, utterly calm he is. Yeah, while being totally calm yeah. and offering his usual level of attacking threat. Like it felt like a proper like milestone moment in his career because you just think, well, the only time people ever say that he should be that halfpenny should be picked ahead of him is because halfpenny's got more reliable defence. Hmm. It's better under the high ball. And obviously Halfpenny's a goal kicker. Now you've take like if he can play like that all the time, and he can be that sort of defensively astute and that defend and read the game that well and read kicks that well. You know, you've take you but the only reason that Halfpenny's got left to be picked in any way, shape and form is his goal kicking, which is no you know, there's no you can't just pick a player because was, he does one thing now. It was a consummate fullback performance. Yeah, it was international level. It was remarkable. He was bandily wonderful. Well, and we had council of state strength versus Pacific Island strength, didn't we? Pure pure actual strength. Yeah. (laughs) There's only somebody. I said that on Twitter. Somebody tweeted back and said, "I've been trying to explain to my girlfriend why Liam would win because of the council of state strength. She doesn't understand. (laughs) It's a difficult concept to grasp. It is. It is. Doesn't change the fact though. Well, I think it's the fact that. When Manu had little, and didn't just have him round the neck, he was basically sort of grabbing him by the windpipe, and all the while Liam looked absolutely fucking delighted that it was going on. That's councillor state strength. Yes, it That's, is the classic. Yeah, yeah. shit out the, hard man. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I'm fucking yeah, delighted. Yeah. This is going to kick on. <laughs> I can't wait for this to kick off. Is basically what his face said. But also. Can we talk about that moment right at the end where he put that kick up and then caught it and somehow didn't go into touch? Yeah, that was, yeah. Because that's genuinely one of the most impressive things I've ever seen. Apart from that, that fucking handoff for the whatever it was in the Super Rugby this weekend. That yes, bloke was yeah. going into touch and somehow fired the ball out of his arse. Basically, in yeah. terms of like a pure sort of gravity-defying, there are two men trying to smash you into touch there, and somehow you've sort of done a weird pirouette. And they're some of, of the that. most athletic things you can do, but nobody yeah. really talks about them in that no. way. It's cause no, they because they just look so mangled, but they just yeah. And and that was the difference between like England having another sort of attacking ch- you know, that ball should have gone into touch. Hmm. And yet and given England a last attacking line out. And, in, and just inside the their own half. It's and council instead, state strength. He's so yeah. fucking strong. People just don't <laughs> seem to understand. It's almost superhuman it. how strong he is. Because he's a big lad. Like I don't understand why people like because he's like got the sort of because he's bandy and wiry. Because he's bandy and wiry. They don't get that he's fucking. He's six. Foot he looks like you know when you're in school. There were always those kids. Lad. Those kids who won the, the sprinting races at, at sports day, and they always <laughs> yeah. had like white scruffy pumps on. And, yeah. and holes in the knees and looked a little bit uncared yeah. for, shall we yeah. say? Yeah. He looks like one of them. Yeah, absolutely. One of those guys is brilliant at running. Now, I'm not saying that Jeanette didn't buy him nice clothes and all that I'm kind sure of she stuff. Did. I'm sure she did. But, you know, he's a big lad. He's six foot one. He's 14 stone. He is, for a fullback, he's a decent size. 
That's that's but still on the smaller size for, for a back well, these days, yeah. Especially because it's because he's six foot one. If he was fourteen yeah. stone and Nick Grigg height, yeah, yeah, well, yeah. That, he then, does look rangy, doesn't he? And, he, and his neck's thing, too he, long and stuff. All of everything yeah, about it's just not really, quite right. Nothing, nothing really works about him proportions. And he has that. We said it before. He has that ridiculously fine-looking top line when he runs and downstairs. Yeah. It's just <laughs> it's fucking a forget fucking it. Mess. Yeah, it's like and a also, fucking you know, frog in a blender down there. He's sort of got headwise. He's sort of got the kind of can, the five hundred mil can <laughs> yes, head as yes. well. It's just like the whole thing from a sort of purely aesthetic point of view. Does not fucking work yeah. or compete. Fails the eye test. And yeah, I think that's the thing. And that's probably why he was fucking, you know, sticking his head in fucking on scat, you know, sticking his head over bloody steelworks fucking chimneys instead of playing professional rugby when he was 18. Because he didn't like, look right, yeah. Because you know, he, he failed the fucking Because they cycle. don't do the NFL thing of like testing all these little micro skills where he probably <laughs> yeah. would have, you know, he's athletic enough to pass all them. Yeah. Instead, just looked at him and went, oh, no, look at fucking no, his legs. The... <laughs> yeah, look at the way he fucking runs. Look at the way Lee just looks, to... you know, unconvinced. He's literally about 10 metres away from falling over all the fucking yeah. time. Yeah, but... Yeah. But what, what a player. That's good here. Uh, Reese Knott gets in touch on Twitter. He says, good is Josh Adams. Yep. Uh, but not just because he was brilliant at the weekend, but because I remember Josh Gardner saying after Wales versus England in 2018 that he hoped Gatlin kept picking him after his slight snafu. Because he wandered off, Faz kicked through, and, and Johnny May chopsticks. Did I say snipe, slight snafu? No, I think because... that's what Reese said. Okay, good. Because in that case, I was remarkably chill about that. That's right. More than I, yeah. I expected to be. And Gatlin yeah. did stick with him. Yeah. So he's given you a bit of credit for having a bit of fucking rugby sense for once in your life. Well, you know, a stopped watch, you know. Exactly, and all that, yeah. But yeah, you know, he's Josh Adams is another one that, you know, was overlooked. And that's kind of why I fucking love. I really love this Wales team because it's got a lot of players in it that I feel like were told basically you'll never fucking make anything of you. It's like you the, it's like the dirty dozen for rugby. It is a bit, you know. You think look at somebody like fucking Josh Navidi as well, you know. And let's be honest, we've like, been negative enough about Josh oh, Navidi. You know, a lot of people were like, "Well, Josh Navidi's never going to make a difference at the next level. He's not, you know, he's too small. He's not got enough about him." He's absolutely fucking, yeah. you know, he shat on everything that I, you know, said critical about him at any point in his Wales career because he's fucking, ex, you know, he's found as a six now, he looks fucking brilliant. And yes. I don't know how Wales drop him when Falatow is fit. But equally, I don't know how we drop Ross Moriarty either because he just is carrying... I think leave fucking... and have Moriarty on there. But... Yeah, but... Off there, just... sorry. Get yeah, and, you know, you look at... As they call him. Yeah, but you look at Josh Adams where, you know, he was he's only made one appearance for the Scarlets and was discarded and then, you know, went and played fucking Cinderford and all these places and, and is now, you know, twenty three years old and fucking scoring the There's winning. Hope for Alec Brew yet. <laughs> well indeed, but you know, it, it just it genuinely there's so many of those stories in that Welsh team of just players that looked like it was never gonna happen for them. Or that it was, you know, fucking Corey Hill for God's sake. The world's, you know, a man that everyone said was destined to be a footnote as a sort of, you know, fraud lion, you know, a geography, the geography six. And he's been nothing since, but incredibly impressive. He's been ever nothing since but that incredibly just ever since. And yeah. yeah, there's just loads to love about. And Adam Beard's, you know, replaced Luke Chartres in the circus <laughs> in freak the... show quotient. Yeah, exactly. 
<laughs> but unlike Luke Charteris, is just fucking just big everywhere. He just looks like yes. a man that's too big for life. Anybody who just... looks that freakish shouldn't wear a scrum hat. Shouldn't we should pull him no. aside and go, listen, <laughs> scrum hat's not for you. You need to just Mate, go out there with your normal hat. Yeah, normal you're, you're, there's, there's, there's almost no risk of whatever happens in the scrum making you any weirder. So don't bother with the scrum cap making your ears look funny, there mate. There should be one of them like face apps where you can put a scrum hat on yourself to decide whether or not you should buy one, <laughs> depending on how terrible you look. You know what I mean? I mean, yeah, because that's the thing with that's the thing with Adam Beard. He's he's only six foot eight, which is you know it is circus freak, <laughs> but it's it's not charterist circus freak. But it's I think six eleven charterist six ten or something. Yeah, something like that. But like, I think it's the fact that he's just he's so massive in all. He looks like a man that like. Like you know, he, mugs are too small for him. Like public transport is too well, do small. Person you know that genuinely finds it hard to live a normal life. Do you know when teenage boys go through that growth spurt when they're about fifteen, sixteen, and they just look all wrong? Like yeah. all the joints are too big, you and the cheekbones are wrong. Like and Adam's apples too big. Yeah, and, just, and the teeth somehow are still too big. Yeah, everything else is too big as well. He's massively, and got he's that. basically just got that permanently throughout his life. Yeah, oh, he looks great. I love him. He's twenty. Good man. He's twenty-three now. It's like it's like that now. But forever. maybe when you're that age, didn't like didn't like Andre the Giant keep growing till he was twenty-eight or maybe, something? Maybe, I mean, yeah, maybe we haven't seen the end. Maybe he'll be six. Maybe he'll be a seven-footer, and but we'll, we'll look like a normal human. As fascinating as this chat is, <laughs> I feel like we've gone very, very far into a strange place. Um, have, yeah. Good, Tom Curry. Yes, he's twenty. And there's Let's two of remember them. that. Yeah. <laughs> but, like, he's just so composed and so... His decision-making at a breakdown, his reading of the game, you know, his... He's, you know, he's everywhere. He's physical. Get his head up and spot, you know, the physical stuff. I'm, you know, I'm not that impressed by because it's not... Like, you don't... You can... Yeah. Anybody can go to the gym if they've got all day to do of, it, yeah. There are a lot of physical specimens out there. But it's like his, re- you know, having the awareness as a twenty-year-old to just keep your head up at a breakdown and get to the ball and look and see that there's no guard on the ruck and just street like, yeah. you know, in a test match of that importance to do that just says everything about him for me. Support running's not bad either. No, it's not as good as Sam Underhill's, but it's good. no, it's not. But you know, they're different players. Well, we've but... gone from having fuck all to having them two, so yeah, I'm happy. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Um, my other good, and I'm going to say it because I think a lot of people who were on Twitter were saying it in the opposite category of the way that he's been talked about. But I'm going to say good is Kyle Sinclair. No, I agree. I don't get it's, it. Yeah, I don't get he it at all. His, he lost his rag a bit. Like, I think he was just a bit tired by this point. He was ready to come off. He was. He, <laughs> he was, was tired. He was tired. He was overtired. He, he needed to go and have a lie down. Yeah. He was starting to act out a little bit. Yeah. yeah. Like the level of demonization that's been leveled at him, and like saying, "Oh, you know, that's the moment England lost the game." He gave away two penalties, and he didn't get sent off, and he cost his team what three points. But he also made twenty fucking tackles in fifty-four minutes. And I don't, uh, I think he had a good game, and he lost his cool, and he got pulled before any, what he did any serious every, damage. Every prop every week's making between fifteen and twenty tackles, so I think we need to make less of a deal of that because. People keep it's probably true, him. actually. Yeah, yeah. So I do think I think it was at the beginning of the tournament. It was like, yeah, actually, fair enough. And now you realize, actually, this is kind of what's expecting these new defensive patterns. Especially if people mm. keep fucking running at that channel all day. But yeah. um, but yeah, I, he 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 did well in the scrum. He was he was up and at him. His defense was good. Tackle numbers aside, 
I thought you had a really solid game. Why the hell, yeah. people? And, and it, but people want a narrative, don't they? Oh, that's the moment no, when it I'm all so actually. No, it, it wasn't actually. When it all changed was effectively when Wales managed to get that ball and did thirty-four phases. <laughs> yeah, that changes things. And I do think there is something about he probably does need to learn to recognise when that's coming and maybe has to be, you know, maybe say I need to whatever come off now. Yeah, or you know, take a minute. And just you know, and there is something about having a lead. Who's the leader in the forwards? Who's pulling him in? Like like Alan Jones would have done. Like mm. he did with the ref, where he said, "Hey, quiet, respect." Yeah. I mean, do yeah, you believe exactly. that or not? The fact Rob, is, that's yeah. what refs want to no. see. It's wonderful <laughs> no, exactly. ref management. Yeah, and exactly, and you know, that was Rob Evans getting annoyed because Kyle Sinclair had headbutted Ken Owens on the way up. Yes. And and just... well, the thing is, Alan Jones would have gone, "Hey." Quiet, yeah. respect, back. They would have yeah. gone back yeah. to Huddle and gone, he's a fucking prick. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, I think Ant isn't giving us anything. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But you've got to know. And I think this is the thing. There is something about who is that character. Maybe it's Itoji. Maybe that's where Hartley's been, Mr. Bit. I don't know. Yeah, it's a, it, you know, it's an interesting one for this England team because, you know, because apparently we're the only people in their phone book. I was on Love Sport Radio in the week to talk about the Six Nations. Um <laughs> really small phone book um about 300 and, listeners. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and they never get the name of the fucking podcast right um <laughs> anyway go on anyway yes um what was i gonna say no oh, fuck um no whatever you uh, said on love I sport cha- i was chatting about we were talking about the england pack and the, and england in general and who the leaders are beyond farrell and i cannot fucking tell you I think it's a Toji when he's there. I think that's where it's Toji when and he's, he's there, very young, and he's, but he's yeah, and maybe it's Billy a little bit, but I don't know. I don't know. I don't think I so. Don't know, I don't know. I don't think he's got a lot about him. Maybe it's Mako in a sort of quiet leading from the front kind of way, but like it's fucking. It's so reductive to always compare England teams to the two thousand and three team. Yeah, because. Like you say, they had seven of the best players of all time in that fucking team, whatever. But it wasn't just about Martin Johnson. With Jono, that, it would have been with Sinclair if Jono was playing now. It would have been a, come here, <coughs> look me in the eyes, yeah. calm, calm the down. down. Yeah. yeah. You know, keep that what you've got. We fucking go together now, but you need to fucking calm down. It would have been yeah. that kind of thing. Yeah, and there was nobody... You know, Farrell, as, as, you know, and I genuinely think he's a good leader... Yeah. But I feel like if his you interview want to afterwards say, was very impressive. I thought, yeah, it genuinely was. But I kind of feel like if you're a ten or a back in any way, you can't really like do that with a forward. Like, there's something about the kind of dynamic there. <laughs> it is. It is like, like what the fuck are you doing in this huddle? Yeah, exactly, fuck off! Exactly. exactly. <laughs> you can't. Be it's like attacked. forwards in the line, and it get out the fucking line. It's the same. Yeah. Same with backs. Get the fuck out of our huddle. <laughs> but it's like you, you can't sort of go to fucking as Farrell. You can't go because I think there. You need to calm the fuck down, mate. Yeah, just one word. No, you're it's right. Like, yeah. What? Because you're fucking standing back there, mate, while I'm fucking smashing into people. I'm here while they're grabbing me fucking nuts in the rock yeah. and everything. Yeah, it's like, but if you've got a lead, you know, it doesn't have to be the captain, but if you've got no, it doesn't. somebody with a bit of, you know, of experience and a bit of gravitas about them in that. But it was Alan jones when he wasn't captain for Wales. Yeah. Warburton was, wasn't exactly. doing that. Warburton no, wasn't Warburton, doing that stuff. Warburton, was, a Warburton notorious... was managing the ref. That was his job. Warburton was notoriously a quiet, 
and not a talker. His not job was to make the ref think that he was in love with him. Yeah. And then get everything on side, yeah, whereas Alan exactly. Jones and everything else, yeah. Yeah, and it's taken Alan Wynn quite a long time to learn that as well. <laughs> yes. But he's got there now, and it's great. But, yeah, and weirdly, like, and you know, equally, Alan Wynn-Jones can't sort of talk about, you know, not running the right lines to the fucking centre exactly. finger. You know, you need some, you need a leader. You know what it's like here, man. You weren't there. <laughs> exactly. It's like, imagine fucking, you know, Alan Wynn going to George North and telling him that he fucking came too late on that fucking... <laughs> you should have stepped inside there, George. Yeah. 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 What you call, what fucking kind of angle do you call that? I mean, to be honest with you, Alan Wynn-Jones probably can. Yeah, he can do well. I, yes, let's be honest. He can incredibly do good lines, but... Yeah, it's an interesting thing. Do England need a leader in the forwards? And nobody's and really... And that's where they... And it, that suddenly what Hartley brought what Hartley yeah. brought becomes yeah. more obvious. Yeah. yeah. Do as I say, not as I do. <laughs> right. Do. You all behave anyway. yourselves. I'm going to go and off hook somebody's eyeball out. But you lot have to fucking behave <laughs> yeah. yourselves. You fucking calm down. I'll take care of this. <laughs> right then. I'm going to go full fucking Joe Pesci and Goodfellas over here. You lot fucking care... <laughs> Stay calm. Um, Whatever you do, don't grab anyone round the throat while I'm fish hooking this bloke. <laughs> yes. What else have we got here that's good? Um, uh, Rob Warlow gets in touch. He said, I'm not sure if it's shit or good, but the ref in the Benetton versus Dragons match was in touch with a TMO on a mobile phone brought out uh, to him. The Nige special. <laughs> that is amazing. Welcome to the Pro 14, everyone. Uh, Sarah gets in touch. She says, good is Eddie winding up Brian Moore. With the, he doesn't have to let him get to his feet gate. He just kept saying it more. It was very funny. Genuinely. But actually, I've got some sympathy for Brian Moore because Jonathan Dead, Jonathan, Jiffy, Jiffy said he didn't let him get up. And yeah. Brian Moore went, there's nothing to get him up. There's nothing to get up. Because yeah. Jiffy is not very good at studying what the laws of the game are these days. No, he brings no. something else. Whatever yeah. it is, he brings something else. Enthusiasm. But then every time somebody said yes, and he, he went for the ball, he doesn't have to let him get up. He just left that get up. It was the yeah, but he said, Brian, we know. We we're aware of this. I loved you. Did you have a good game? Do you want a cup of tea? Does not let him get up. <laughs> Catherine Kavanagh gets in touch. Hello, Catherine. She says, Good is Ian McKinley on for Italy. A good news story to end all good news stories. Yes, absolutely. And it's happening. You know, it's like people wondered if he would ever be like, even when he got called into the Italy squad, people were like, well, is he actually going to play? Is he actually going to get it? And he's getting a chance, and it's lovely. That's on Twitter. Good. David McIntosh gets in touch. Good was the bastard old chip, chase, and collect. An event so unlikely, my brain was, was unable to process it in real time. It was silly. Like, it was one of those moments where you laugh at the ridiculousness of the world. But what's funny is that I don't think anybody could process it in real time because it was a kind of, I'm going to kick <laughs> this, this. And everybody was now. But no, but everybody was like, oh, come off it. Bastro's not trying to dummy a kick, is he? Come on, nobody's <laughs> buying that. And then he actually fucking kicked it. That's what I couldn't understand why Gareth Anscombe didn't do, by the way. Well, yeah, he's really fucking good at that. He could have easily done me that kick and gone through and not had it charged down, for example. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. Also got it. Ali McFarlane gets in touch on Twitter. <laughs> he says, good is also worth a mention is Kevin Bryce's break in the Glasgow-Cardiff game, the sheer look of panic when the hooker realised he was clean through and then fluffed the pass. <laughs> I did that in a, play, when I was playing rugby league. I did that in a nine-a-side competition once. I stepped through the line and went and went, fuck me, that's a long way to go. 
and then was looking <laughs> over my shoulder both sides for somebody with a bit of pace to come and actually take the fucking ball off me. Should we go on to shit? Yes, I think we probably should. Shouldn't Times we? are ticking on. Shit. Ticking. Tommy Allen's kicking. Slight return. Really not really not very good. Awful. Honestly. Bless really him. bad. Um, shit also from that game. Um, Sean Cronin. I'm starting to understand why he's never started a Six Nations game before Saturday. Yeah, all them tries um, are no good, mate, if you can't yeah, do you can't fucking other... throw. <laughs> it's I'm what not... I like to call the Cuthbert gambit. <laughs> yeah, it's like, <laughs> tries are great. As a hooker, you have to not massively overthrow it every fucking time, mate. Oh, dear me. Is that where he only comes on, then, when Ireland have basically won a game and, you know... Maybe. It's good for Leinster, though. It's weird. Yeah, it but was, it yeah, is a step up, isn't it? People forget yeah. this, don't they? It's funny that, that that number two jersey obviously does something funny to him in an Ireland shirt. Because yeah, it, I mean, he's a good player. He's been very good for a very long time. But it was just like Jesus, mate. Talk about not taking your chance. It's not like Rory Brest has like pulled up trees this tournament or over the last couple of years. Somebody's gonna have to play hooker for Ireland mm. in a year or two. And uh, yeah, weird. Well, yeah, that too. Uh, Bath Bites gets in touch. Hello, mate. He says, shit, is the Rook now becoming a fancy game of pylon with a collection of players doing their best Superman impression onto the top of other players while the ref suddenly requires a white stick and a dog standing next to him to the heap of bodies? I got, I watched the, the Italy Island game and I genuinely, right, and I wasn't even trying to be funny, was saying, I don't think I understand this anymore because no, I don't know mean... why the whistle doesn't go. So yeah. have I fundamentally misunderstood something? So I went off. I had a look at the law, right? Law 15 is about the rook. Law 15.12 says, mm-hmm. players must endeavour to remain on their feet throughout the rook. They it just d- stopped enforcing it. it. No, but it does not say they must stay on their feet. Okay, it says yeah. they must endeavour to stay on their feet. So, I, so then I went, well, all right, what does that mean? So then I went and found a referees forum, because this is how I fucking live now. He said, and, and basically, it seems, whittling it down to what they were saying, I think refs are told to focus on the material effect. Because right. people do fall over at rocks, don't they? They do. And actually, if you just penalise everybody who just fell over... Maybe every rock would be a it'd, it'd be a fucking nightmare. So there's something about... So, and also there's something about, you know, if you go to charge in and then somebody doesn't actually come and hit you or backs away, you're going to fall over. And that's not really penalisable because they're saying you've endeavoured to stay on your feet there, but something happened you couldn't control. Mm. However, I do think um, there are some things that are having a material effect that are not picking up on. I think, I know, I know they're not diving on the ball per se, but throwing yourself on the floor in front of the ball, which then makes it much harder for you to get across and get hold of it, or get across and jackal, or get across. Slowing and, down massively, it, isn't it? It means you lose, you've got no momentum as a defensive a, a defender in a rook to get through because there's just all these bodies in the way. It's the old. It's basically, you know, what they were really hot on for about ten minutes, which is, you know, sealing off. Yes. Every fucking ruck is getting sealed off these days by about seven fucking players. And they're so in. far ahead of the ball. I think refs are going. Oh, it's not having a material effect because the ball's the ball. still there. But it is, it is because there's all these bodies in the way, and you can't. Kind get, of. And if you ran any, over the top of them, you'd be penalised for rucking them. Yeah, it's it's. I, I just the, the, the breakdown needs something to sort it out. I'm not sure what it is, but something has to be done to make it a fucking contest again. And I do think that it looks. I think Ireland know this is the case, 
so do it and wait to get penalised and it never happens. And that's not me having a yeah. go at Ireland. I think no. Ireland have got quite canny and Farrell's not a stupid person and said, look, if you just fly over and stay well out of the way of the ball, yeah. they're never going to penalise you. You'll have the same effect. And you create a huge off, a gap between the defence and the offside yeah. line effectively because they can't. Yeah. They have to get round you and it just makes yeah. it so much easier. And it gives you that extra microsecond in attack. <laughs> yeah. So there you go. That's me on that one. Yeah. Um, shit, shit for me. Mm. Um, we've spoken about most other thing, most of my other ones earlier. But um, England's telling the Principality Stadium hospitality people to turn off the highlights on the post-match function room TVs as came out after the game. <laughs> like, really? Yeah. Firstly, they that's do very that every- humble, isn't it? That's like that's so humble. Like, like, firstly, like it was a post-match function. Like every game, regardless of when Wales win or lose. Highlights of the match are on the telly because they've just. Is this true? Beat. It's not paper talk, is it? Is it actually true? No, it's it's it is actually true. Apparently, it is true. They just like I get it. You you don't want to watch a replay of the incredibly painful loss that you've literally just suffered. I get that, but lads, you'll be watching replays of how badly you fucked it in forensic detail all week. <laughs> like all you're doing there is maybe is that's why they want it turned off. off. Yeah, let me have a like, fucking save, drink, will you? Save before. that for fucking Monday. Uh, yeah, weird. Speaking Just of England and the, weird. Hum- and the humility of it, lots of people mentioning this whole England picture of the changing oh, room. God, I, I had humility. on January the first, I tweeted that if I had one wish for 2019, it's a fucking end of that exact thing. I don't want to see that your players have sweeped out the sheds because they're so fucking humble. Just do it and don't fucking tweet about it. When's this kind of up in the ante on humility going to end? It's like the world's most fucking boring extreme sport. Well, They're going to show folding towels and stacking bottles and shit next and then toothbrushing the showers like they're on punishment detail in the Marines <laughs> or something. It's fucking ridiculous. I mean, I was I saying before we came on, I played third team in fucking South Wales Division 4, right? We just used to walk in, lob all the kit in the middle of the room, get changed and fuck off, shave in a shower with no mirror, then fuck off. Because that's basically just what happened. And what part of this tidying up is actually going to make you fucking better at making decisions when there's 34 phases coming at you? And I know that's not what it's all about, but I just don't get it. Well, I do get it. It's because the All Blacks did it, therefore it must be good. Yeah, the All Blacks did it, but they just spectacularly missed the point of why the All Blacks started doing that, and it's to turn a bunch of fucking... (laughs) Degenerate. Degenerate pissheads into people that appreciated the fucking... (laughs) Value of an all black jersey. Turn the team from Miami University to a fucking bunch of <laughs> choir boys, basically. Yeah. yeah so um, anyway, enough of that. I can't be fucking. Yeah, I mean, but friend of, like me and uh, friend of the pod, uh, Jamie Wall, had an exchange on Twitter about this back in January when I tweeted this, and he's just like, he said at the time, like, that's going to be the fucking thing for this World Cup. You mark my fucking words, and it's going to spread to the fans as well. It's going to be like. <laughs> Attempting to out polite and out respect. Would it be like um, the opposition when the World Cup like... was in South Korea and basically <laughs> yeah, showed was... all the, and they all tied it up the town square afterwards? All yeah, the South Korean it, fans. Well, like, yeah. yeah, and like um, when the Japanese fans cleaned up the, in the stands after themselves at the World Cup in Russia last year. And and to be honest, like... that is really nice, isn't it? Yeah, but it's and the fetishization the Jap- of it that yeah. does my head. The in. difference is that when the Japanese players cleaned up their dressing room after they got knocked out of the World Cup, they didn't tweet about it. 
they just cleaned up and left a little note saying thank you very much for being for looking after us and then somebody else went god they're nice aren't they hashtag humble hashtag culture well yeah and I mean, if you do it yourself it absolutely invalidates any sort of fucking pretense of There's a lot of good work for charity doesn't like to talk about it yeah type stuff yeah it's that fucking shit isn't it yeah what else have we got the shit need to rattle through these now Graham Golvin gets in touch. He says, I'll start by saying I love the your pod. Thank you, Graham. We know you do. And he said, for the, but for the love of Jesus suffering fuck, keep your kiss of death predictions to your bloody selves. Scotland about Scotland. Beat Wales. Obviously. Scotland are going to beat Wales. What was it we said last week? I think Scotland have got enough to win in Paris. I still believe they did, Graham, to tell you the truth. Can't blame that on me. Andy and Brum no. gets in touch, friend of the pod as well. He said, shit, having to send the note into school apologised if the boys had learnt any new colourful language over the weekend due to daddy's ranting at the telly. Yep. <laughs> you don't play this podcast, do you? Um, Rob sure Jones is. gets in touch. He said, shit, is Johnny May isn't getting an open-top bus celebration for tackling somebody into touch. <laughs> <laughs> A lot of people have got very salty with Johnny May about that. And to be honest, it is funny. <laughs> And we've talked about the silly levels of... It's the fact that he fucking wedged him and everything. It's made yeah. it even funnier, really. But it's just like, so, so much dignity, Johnny. Such, so much he's dignity. such a ridiculous man. If everybody started doing it, it'd be awful. But the fact he does it, I just laugh my fucking head off. Yeah. He's a, like, he's a ridiculous, You can't apply normal. Player. He's not being arrogant. He's no. just an idiot in the <laughs> yeah. best possible way. Yeah. This is a man that wanted to fix North Korea. That's what I always Imagine how much you cheer to. then if he sorted that out. Oh, fucking hell, he'd be absolutely giving it the big one, wouldn't he? <laughs> I'm going to send him a very strongly worded letter. Um, <laughs> what else we got here? Sean Flynn gets in touch. He said, shit, is the dragons getting the mother of all dry humpings by Benetton? Yeah, that mean, fuck me. <laughs> As we've already mentioned, it is bad. Yeah. Steph Franklin gets in touch. Hello, Steph. And says, Inverdale on the Wales-England coverage on Saturday was so shit, he almost accidentally hilariously became good. The funniest bit is when they cut from the Alan Partridge trailer. Oh my back god! To and, he stopped, and and he's and he had the the temerity to make fun of what Alan Partridge <laughs> was wearing, completely not realizing that he is the living embodiment of Alan Partridge. Without and forgetting that the stuff. week before he had fucking <laughs> super skinny jeggings on in the last game. <laughs> he did as well. Fucking hell! About that. Joe Taring gets in touch. He said, "Shit, his new signing video." Drives a Lexus. Anyway, yeah. Joe Taring, shit. New signing videos jumping the shark and even worse, clubs retweeting all the praise they get for them. I'm sorry <laughs> to be a complete grump, but if I can't complain to you about Wasps making an elaborate video to celebrate signing Saracen's fourth choice number eight, where else can I go? Welcome in, Joe. Come in the cutch. Come inside the cutch, mate. This, you know, You're in the circle of trust here. Exactly. Of course we, we agree with you, though. That is absolute bollocks. Honestly, I saw that video and I was like, and he was like, the hype level was ridiculous. And I was like, ooh, who's this? Have they, signed? Have they got Vinny Vinopola back? <laughs> Fuck me. They signed some number eight, this hard-carrying number eight from Saracens. They're making a... Who? I swear to God, I'd never fucking heard of him in my life. <laughs> it's, I t- uh, yeah, I just... My soul aches for a time when somebody just re-signing a contract for three years was just something that happened. Yeah. And maybe the local is- newspaper went... You know, such and such a flanker sticking around over three years. Well, yeah, basically, at the you know about in about this time of year, the club would release a list of about fifteen <laughs> yeah, exactly. players that are signed. This is who's leaving. Contracts. This is who's staying. Yeah, yeah. 
Instead, you're going to have that fucking... The, follow, the following players will move on to pastures new. We thank them for all their blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And then another list. Instead, you're going to have them fucking videos where somebody's post-it noted somebody's head onto a fucking scene at a gladiator or something. It's fucking tedious. And I know I sound like a curmudgeonly old twat. That's because I am. And that's because I'm <laughs> right. Because they're fucking awful. <laughs> See, you say that. However, I am quite often entertained by... Bristol's ones. Well, see, the thing is, because it's a classic one, isn't it? You know, there's like brilliant observation. For every brilliant thing, there's a lot of people trying to do it with shit. For example, Billy Connolly is the greatest observational comedian of all time, and yet he lives in a world where fucking Michael McIntyre exists. Yeah, and sells out fucking So it is just like, look, just fucking leave it to the people (laughs) who actually know what they're doing. I still think they over-fucking-egg it. They do a bit, well, and they do, and the thing is, they it. have a little bit of tongue in cheek about it as well. They, I think, that's they the know it's ridiculous. That's the thing I enjoy. You know, this is Bristol, a club who two years ago did their match day programs where every single player player was dressed in a weird, smart, casual Ben Sherman shirt and jeans combination, and it was the same fucking shirt and jeans for every <laughs> single player for the whole season. And I started to feel like I was going mad. <laughs> But on reflection, that was just them going, you know what would be funny? If we made everyone dress up exactly the same and then every week we just put a different player in the same smart casual outfit on the front of it, looking like they were posing in a Ben Sherman catalogue. And I think they've got on the quiet a very funny kind of new media genius in there. They probably And everyone's now scrabbling around to do that and they end up just sounding a bit ridiculous. Yeah, because they go, oh, well, they just use memes. That's what kids are into, memes. And it's like, no, 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 no. It's like it's fucking the 2009 all over again. Let's make something that will go viral. Let's let's make yeah. it go viral. Is it viral? Right. Is that what they call it? I don't forget when I was in when I was in the financial sector in in the late 90s, and there was one bloke, and I swear to God, his only job was to sit in meetings and go, is that WAP enabled? I'm pretty hell, sure that was his only fucking job. Because that's that, all he ever said. Is that WAP enabled? What? Fuck off. That is a fucking... Bla- I haven't heard the word WAP. <laughs> that was his job in 1999. Is that long time. <laughs> Fuck me, WAP. Remember that. So whatever the equivalent of... It's probably, it's probably actually him. He's probably working for Wasps now. Yeah, he he's the guy behind is, all of it. probably Wasps' fucking social media guy. Last two, uh, Matt H gets in touch. He says, shit, is the toe-curling culture in rugby of moral one-upmanship? Yeah, we covered that. England's dressing room pics. I long for some shit housery and bad sports. That's what I do. I want somebody to post a picture of somebody just dumping shit on the floor and yeah. flicking the Vs at the camera. Yeah. Equally, to be honest, like, shit is the ridiculous and patronising, ceaseless hyperbole of modern rugby. All right? There was a time when it took a few years for like rose tinted specs to make things that were very good the greatest thing that's ever happened now it's literally full time the spectacles are fucking smashed onto the face and everything is like okay wales first try right fucking excellent hmm. we've talked about that brilliant try fabulously well, well worked, worked. Yeah. it was not however one of the greatest tries wales have ever scored as i read in one major newspaper on sunday come on Equally, Wales were good for, as we said, 15, 20 minutes in that second half on Saturday. So calling it perhaps the greatest 40 minutes of Welsh rugby the Millennium Stadium has ever seen, 
equally in another major newspaper this weekend, Overboard. Just, it's the same with England. Just England chill had, out. England had those couple of decent performances. and some, I think it's a Guardian role. They're redefining how rugby's going to be played. It's like, honestly, I think it was Paul Kitts, and it's like, you're yeah. quite long in the tooth, Paul. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, how are you impressed by this shit? Like, can we just let things be good and enjoy them without having to make them the best fucking thing ever? It's like every tackle you've ever seen is incredible now. Yeah. People make tackles, and it's the most... Oh. Yeah, and equally, Look, it works the other I'm way. I'm drifting as well. that way it's again. Like... I fucking love rugby. I love watching it. I loved all the games I watched this weekend. Me too. But you know, I I don't buy into the you know they weren't the best games of rugby I've ever seen. No, and equally compare anything that happened this weekend with New Zealand versus France's second half in 1999, and then fuck off. Yeah, well, yeah. And if you're going to say that, then just fuck off and don't talk to me. And equally, it's the same the other way. Things aren't as shit as you're making out either. Absolutely. England aren't a shit They're team definitely not as shit as we make out, yeah. No, very true. <laughs> Absolutely not. But, <laughs> but things aren't as bad as they, you, people think. Things aren't as good as people think. Things are just all right. Things yeah. are good. It's an enjoyable things sport. Things are not very good. It's Go good. with it. Let's and that's it. fine. That's all right. Yeah. It's fine to just enjoy Another something. Another enjoyable and... weekend of rugby. Yeah. Thank you very much. Yeah. That's it. We're done. No, sorry. Robbie Lee Miller gets in touch. We'll leave his nah, last one. He I said, thought we were going to go. I thought you were going to end on a really sort of like. Well, he sent it. Like, so uh, he said, it, "Shit, yeah. he's letting myself believe that Scotland would have anything other than a shite mare in Paris." <laughs> but even that was a good game, Robbie. Like I've just said, it was entertaining. I thoroughly enjoyed every rugby bit of rugby I watched so this weekend, except for all of Wales England when I hated it. I love but... that. Welcome to the worst day of the year. Never changed, Josh. <laughs> Fucking brilliant. Anybody who enjoys watching this game has something wrong with them. Fucking brilliant. Yeah, yeah, absolutely correct. You're a fucking psychopath if you enjoy that game. And on that note, thank you very much. Wolf, it's a long one this week. I hope you've managed yes. to stick with us. Take, I hope you have done, because some of the stuff at the end there was fucking gold. So, absolutely um, blinded stuff. Speak to you yeah. soon. ta da Sports Social Podcast Network. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.